0: the Chex project is this put it in a place to explore this theme of what is ownership, what is status, what is authorship in the age of the internet. That that initial response to the Mint I think gave me that feedback that there was more to unpack or there was a story underneath this that so could, we could continue to tell. And where that led me mechanically was okay, if people are wanting to participate in this moment, you know, the, this conversation about what status is, how can we build mechanics on top of that that further demonstrate how much people care about, interact with, um, participate in a system that is designed with these mechanics that reflect status that's more and more difficult to obtain?
1: Hi everyone, this is Sam at NFT Statistics on Twitter, and today we have Jack Butcher on the podcast. Jack has built a brand called Visualize Value, where he uses minimalist simplistic design uh, to deliver messages that really hit hard, just really resonant messages that I think a lot of people find fitting into their lives. I certainly did. Uh, He's become one of the most well-followed designers and marketers online and really builds a brand on how you can use the internet to gain leverage, to build businesses, expand your reach, and be more effective. In the past few weeks, though, he's really taken the NFT world by storm. He tweeted a couple weeks ago an image that said, this artwork may or may not be notable. And underneath it, he had, basically just a grid of 80 different verification checks from Twitter. He got a few of retweets, a few lights, and decided that he was going to mint that image for $8 each, a play on Twitter's $8 cost to buy the checkmark, and he found that people really liked it. First, there were 100 buys, then there were 300 mints, and it ended up with 16,000 mints. In this podcast, we talk about what he's doing with this project, how he's gamifying it, creating burn mechanisms, doing all sorts of interesting things to deliver messages that he finds important. In the second half of the podcast, I just thought it was so awesome to have someone who's so good at marketing, who has such a great eye for design and marketing, who also knows NFTs on the show. And we talked a little bit about what he brings from his marketing world to NFTs, where he sees the industry going, what he thinks makes projects successful. I just found it a super interesting conversation. Also, great to get to learn more about his work after spending so much time looking at his Instagram. I really hope you uh, stick around, listen to the show. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. All right, Jack Butcher, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, mate. I appreciate it.
1: So this this checks project has completely taken off. I think beyond uh, what what anyone expected. What uh, what do you think has made it take off so much? What about what about the project has just struck a chord
0: here so i think there's maybe a couple components to it the first being kind of a meme that it taps into and the amount of cultural equity in that meme at this given point in time so the blue check mark combined with the recent elon musk acquisition of twitter and all of the changes that pertain to what a blue checkmark represents. You know, it used to be this thing it was kind of a top-down ordained status symbol. And now you know, that's been completely turned on its head. Anybody with eight bucks can, can uh, get a blue check mark next to their name. And I think the way in which it kind of invites remixes has been a huge catalyst for spreading it around. So first of all, just creating an image that I think Captures a zeitgeist in some way and people identify with, and then second is kind of making a format that allows people to take it, run with it, spread it in their own way, and feel like they own a piece of it and uh, I think those two factors combined could go into depth on either one of them or both of them, but I think at a high level that's what's making it work
1: what uh what, what was the initial process like when you when you first came up with it like what what was kind of the step by step from when you conceived of the idea? to minting it, to seeing, whoa, this is taking off far more than I ever thought it would.
0: So the funny thing is a lot of these ideas just kind of come into my mind at like the thinking and the subconscious processes that are running for months on end, then kind of just appear as an image. And the process for creating the image obviously is not um, that laborious. You can look at it. It's, It's like a... 45 second process in Figma and taking that image and posting it on Twitter and just kind of getting feedback in real time for um, a response to the idea. And I think this combined with the caption, which was this artwork may or may not be notable, which is the hover state of the old legacy checkmark system. So playing with all of those themes and, and, inviting people to consider um, you know what makes something notable verified important etc and then obviously the equity in the check mark symbol that is just as common as understood as globally uh recognized as almost a dollar sign at this point yeah
1: what what was your take when they, when just kind of what did you personally how, how have you personally felt about Elon and how he's done Uh, with the company, his decision to turn this check into a verification to now just being a sign that you paid $8. Like what's been, what's been your take as a social media user?
0: I think it's, I think it's uh, the thing that resonates with me or the, 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 the most utopian version of the narrative and what I'm trying to imply here. And I think that comes across in the response to it is the notability can happen just as a function of a decision that you make instead of being given to you or applying for it from a platform. So it's kind of this idea of if everybody is verified, no one is verified, right? That it just levels the playing field in a way that's pretty interesting. And obviously, I think Elon's playing the attention game at the highest level where this is the one kind of button that you can press that's going to get everybody hyped up about, you know, what is um, like who deserves to be to have their words, their uh, the things that they broadcast out into the world verified in in quotation marks? So I, I guess my opinion is this aligns much more with how I see the internet working and why I think the internet is valuable than kind of an antiquated process where you have to submit three pieces of press coverage that you know you might be able to have paid for. To get your blue check mark to get your blue check mark, um, the idea is uh yeah I think I just think he he played with it in a smart way, just from a marketing perspective, but how the rest of it plays out to me is like I have no idea how this how this plays out longer term
1: yeah i I loved your tweet I mean because it just kind of the, the way they used to have it. Where it said this person may or may not right, be notable. Right. It's like, what does it mean to be a non-notable person? Um,
0: right, right.
1: being one. It was just it, that in itself. You know, you created a meme out of something that really deserved to be memified.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, like I think everybody's reaction the first time they rolled over that was kind of like disbelief that he actually went through with it. I think you know that was kind of the the meme in the tweets, like eight dollars. Power to the people this is the disclaimer we're going to use. And then when it actually shipped, it was like a fairly shocking, fairly shocking moment because again, this symbol does represent, or has represented a different idea for such a long time. And it, for, for it to like turn on its head overnight on a platform like Twitter, where like heads of government, you know, they're like, it's, it's different a little bit, even than an Instagram or um, any other social media platform because of the like news breaks on Twitter, right? People have people like the American government ships news updates on Twitter. It's not like Snapchat, Instagram, something like that, where it's kind of a lifestyle app. This is really like a network for news. You could argue the most important one in the world.
1: Yeah. No, I I think that was kind of a, I saw a little bit of negativity there in the sense that like just as a user, we were very used to something and just like that almost, regardless of what it symbolized, it had a very functional purpose that as a user just got flipped, you know, and yeah. you had like the Lily tweet where someone created a fake Lily account, very, you know, put the check yeah, on it yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. said like insulin's free now, uh, as a, I'm a type one diabetic. So I knew that that was not true, but all, you know, it, it sent the stock down 5%. Right. So, uh, that was, yeah. Was, that
0: first couple of days was, was tumultuous for sure. Yeah.
1: So going, going back to the mint though. So you came up with this idea, you, you, then you decided to just make it an open mint or was it before or after the tweet that you that you did the open mint
0: it was yeah it was probably 10 minutes after so if there's a like there's a little bit of traction i'm i think weirdly i had this like um maybe a week before that i kind of cleaned up my twitter follows so i got and it was like deep in the bear market and there was a lot of negativity on the timeline and i was like man maybe i could do with pruning some of this stuff and like probably got rid of about 50 or a hundred anonymous accounts that I were follow that I was following that I just fill in my head with dread. And I think the, the week before that this open edition meta and all of this art that was being kind of put out in a, in a way that was very uh, like very contrasted to the stuff we were seeing in 2021, right? The like fixed supply or the one of one or the, um, it's just a very different market mechanic. So being uh, exposed to that over the week before, I think just placed that idea in the back of my head subconsciously. When I saw the image get some traction, I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Put it out as an open edition. And obviously the $8 price point is another homage to the idea that status is, is uh, for sale. And I think all of those factors combine. And the, ref- the visual reference to uh, very notable modern artist too. It's like playing with that theme of what is legacy, what is notable, what is verification.
1: Yeah. And so then one thing I noted is on your feed here, you said 100 minted, 300 minted. It almost felt like you were surprised that this was getting the traction it did. When did it hit you that you had to, that this was something big and you had to do something with it?
0: Uh. I don't think honestly until maybe a day or two after the mint happened. So anybody who's ever minted anything has probably had this response on Twitter where even if you put out something that is meant purely as a commemorative collectible art piece, people start asking you, what's the roadmap? What are you going to do with it? Where's the utility? All of this stuff. And initially I was like, okay, you know, it's an $8 collectible piece of art to, to commemorate a moment in time, like a, a place in time and culture. And then those, uh, those questions that just planted, just planted in the back of my mind. And I started to think about if I was to build on top of this, what, what would even be, uh, what would even make sense to do? And I'm trying to think of the timeline now. I think it was the third it minted. It was a 24 hour mint. So the fourth, it was, it was closed. And The size of it also created, I approached the ideas based on the size and the network effect of the piece, right? If there had been a hundred pieces sold or 200 pieces sold or 50 pieces sold, that would have drastically changed what the mechanic could have been on the other side of it. So it's kind of one step at a time. The artwork gets, the artwork is received well, X number of people collect it. And then that creates this new kind of set of ingredients to do something potentially interesting with. So, so it was like one step at a time.
1: Knowing what you know now, or what's the big picture story that you've created? So what's just kind of taking a step back? What is the... So, so you, you, yeah. you minted this out. You know, 16,000 editions were minted. W- what did you decide to do? Why don't you just run us a little bit through what people can do with their checks. And I'm also curious, just at a big picture, like how would you explain these open edition plus burn mechanisms? Like what is, it, what is it getting at?
0: Sure. So I think conceptually the checks project is this put it in a place to explore this theme of what is ownership? What is status? What is authorship in the age of the internet? That, that initial response to the mint, I think gave me that Feedback that there was more to unpack or there was a story underneath this that so we could continue to tell and where that led me mechanically was, okay, if people are wanting to participate in this moment, you know the this conversation about what status is, how can we build mechanics on top of that that further demonstrate how much people care about, interact with um, Participate in a system that is designed with these mechanics that reflect status that's more and more difficult to obtain. So, the burn mechanism, I won't go through every detail of it, but essentially, there's a reduction in supply that happens, that will happen as a function of people burning multiple editions. So, the first layer will let you essentially take this commodity, this piece of art that looks like everybody else's piece of art that participated in the mint and turn it into something completely unique. So you get a one-of-one a one on-chain original if you burn this edition. So some people may stop there, but then the mechanics beyond that are every layer of the collection. There's some mathematics in there I won't go into, but there's essentially f- uh, five layers where you combine two editions from the previous layer to get to the next layer. So to get down to a piece of art that has a single check on it would take you 64 editions. And then the final mechanic we burnt in there was to get to the, ver- the, the kind of ultimate piece in the collection, which is a check mark without any color at all, would take you 64 of those single check pieces, which is 4,096 editions. So you've basically created this insanely unlikely outcome because obviously the amount of coordination or capital it would re- require to get there is hard to imagine and that in itself like setting up those rules i think what that's created is like a piece of art that is going to reflect the way in which the market interacts with it it may end up as you know 10,000 burned editions and you know a bunch of single checks and a couple variations along the way Someone may go for that that black check at the end. There's three possible, um, there's three possible black checks because the supply is sixteen thousand and a hair sixteen thousand and thirty, and it's divisible by four thousand and ninety six three and a lot yeah. of change. So we'll see what happens. And I think that uh, story has been captivating people. I've tried to be transparent about the process of taking it from single edition. And all the considerations that I've been going through on the technical side, on the art side, on the like trying to uh, predict the different dynamics that it introduces on the market side and just telling that story transparently in a thread on Twitter has, you know, we've taken some feedback and moved it in different directions, but it's been really like a part of the art and the process itself has been working this out. Well, where, do you,
1: where do you think we go from here? like if you had to predict the future, I, I kind of see a world where this maintains relevance for a long time and people start fighting and bidding and you really get these bidding wars. you know you can also see a world where you know other metas take hold sure. you know, wh- what do you th- what do you think's going to happen here?
0: I think we're going to have some traction. I think there's enough interesting mechanics and there's enough to talk about to keep the story running, like as opposed to selling out a 10,000 PFP mint, for example, and then going to have to build like a AAA game that's going to take you five years and it might be a complete flop, right? The, I think what we have going for us here is we're building this transparently and it's going to happen in days, not weeks or months. And um, the the other thing I think that it's, the other thing that I think it has going for it is the addition to additional functionality post is a very different dynamic than the pre-sale and the mechanics that are normally used in a lot of these projects. So I didn't reserve any of the supply for myself because I had no, like, had no idea it was going to go off like this. And even if I did, it was meant to be a piece of art. I right? wasn't. I would never have approached it that way. So. The, the amount of art sold was just indicative of the appetite for the art. What I'm trying to say is this is all additional upside of in the story as opposed to this is like the no promise and over deliver as opposed to over promise and then try and break your back to, to stay in the meta and relevant and all of this kind of stuff. And, and being transparent with that from the top of it has uh, been very creatively stimulating too. I mean, there,
1: there's something beautiful about only charging $8, l- making literally no promises. You know, your royalties are 2.5%. So I think that's the lowest royalty I've seen anybody come out with in a very long time. Like there's just something kind of beautiful about getting to be along for the adventure without it coming across in any way, like the things that NFTs can, can have a bad reputation for
0: for being. Well, I'm glad you said that way more eloquently than me. I'm glad that's the, that's your impression of it.
1: For sure. I mean, One other, one thing just to chat about, I I was watching one of your earlier interviews and, you know, you have such a, you've built such a phenomenal reputation out of, out of kind of a minimalist, but very poignant art form of delivering messages very simply. And I saw you talk about how on Instagram before NFTs or probably still now, people would take your work and claim it as their own and maybe change one color. And that was like, deeply frustrating, you know, and I think it's kind of interesting how that comes full circle here. And CC0 is literally been one of the huge tailwinds behind this project. Yeah. I've been kind of curious, how, how do you piece those two together? And well, like, have you gotten more CC0 because of this about all your work or what's your what's your general thought there?
0: That's a great question. And I actually had this conversation with my wife yesterday. And I think what it comes down to is the there's an element of precision in the very specific visualized value work that is different than this. Like the symbol in this piece is so open to interpretation. It's so like, it means something different to everybody and every spin-off of it is like, um, everybody, like people are adding character and creativity to it as opposed to, Sometimes when the pieces that I've tried to articulate something really nuanced with have been like slightly taken out of context, or like I wince at like the the way in which the message is not conveyed as well as it could be, as opposed to something that just feels like a piece of art. Like it's a, and obviously art is communication, but these two things are, I guess I just hold them in different parts of my brain, and there are definitely. There are definitely people in the world that take the visualized value aesthetic and improve upon it and do like do a phenomenal job with it, but it's, I think, a way more nuanced style that takes a lot long it takes much longer to perfect. And the barrier to building upon it is much higher than, say, taking that grid of eight by ten and filling it with something that is in a project you care about or represents something visually. Or, um, you know, taking an artist's style and basically recreating a piece of work in their style, as opposed to this, it's, it's kind of like the format is the meme, as opposed to the image being messed with and modified. So that's where I think I was making this, this might be like a lofty and disconnected, but the like, the format almost makes it like an L2. Like it just yeah. something is eight by 10 doesn't even need to be check marks at this point There's like there's so much um like memetic mass in there that the eight by yeah. ten grid keeps some equity between the thing you're looking at and the checks piece from a week ago
1: the, the thing that amazes me is how good all of these derivatives look and maybe it's because you're only retweeting the ones that are like great and everyone no, honestly it's like 90, 95 percent
0: of them are amazing yeah
1: and it's I. It, there's something about the the grid, I think, and the spacing and the color that is just like beautifully done, despite its simplicity. But uh, w- what? For do sure? I know. That's just yeah, that's no, just no, kind no, of like think- I'm just shocked. At, like I see one for, you know, for Chimper's the the crypto punk stuff, the doodles one. I'm just like, wow, this stuff all looks freaking awesome.
0: Yeah, I think the rule, like the this is actually something that came out of Visualized Value too, which is the constraint is the thing that really makes your ability to be creative and expressive infinite. So yeah. because this is okay, you only have this font and you have uh, vector shapes and you can use white on black. So that level of constraint means you're never really sitting in front of a blank page because you're always putting all your ideas through this filter. And this is doing the same thing with even lower barrier entry to uh, creating something, but there's been this massive spectrum of like incredibly thoughtful, philosophical interpretations. And then there are just like dick butts on a page, right? There's, the, the, yeah. the, it runs the whole <laughs> gamma.
1: Yeah. Now if, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to ask one more question about checks and I kind of want to talk kind of about your view on NFTs and uh, kind of tap, tap your brain for uh, on some of that stuff. But on checks, one of the, one of the stories I love about nfts is that Larva Labs, who made crypto punks said that when uh when they created CryptoPunks, they had no idea that the number of attributes is something people would care about
0: right and then right.
1: suddenly they saw that the community you know seed phrase owns the only seven attribute punk they saw that they saw that zero attribute punks were being paid like 5x the floor for and they built that into the website i'm kind of i'm curious how has that been for you how is that experience where you put this work out there and suddenly people are paying up for the fifth mint or, yeah, I know someone just bought like the 76th. Like how has yeah. how the, the audience built this project with you and surprised you?
0: Yeah, for sure. The um, the addition numbers has been a fascinating thing to see play out because of some of the decisions we made publicly about uh, how the burn would work. So we're saying that you can carry through any token ID from the additions to the original collection, which is the the on-chain pieces that the additions will generate. So every time you burn two, you choose an addition number to carry forward. So you're destroying something and preserving something every time you burn. So that has definitely... I think there was a behavior happening before that. So people would choose addition numbers just as a function of like a number they liked maybe. And as soon as we started to reveal more mechanics, that got just more aggressive because people started to realize, okay, if I'm going to go after the, you know, whichever level that somebody's aiming for, I'd love it to have this number that means something to me or this number that is like memetically relevant in NFT culture. So the 420s, the 69s, those are all like in the top three or four sales so far um trying to think what else has been the people have built tools which has been incredible like built grids where you can either upload an image and it will convert it to that grid of checks or you can like use a paint dipper and like paint one at a time uh somebody made a soundboard with the check so i think the the back and forth the the kind of twitter conversation around putting something out a lot of these have been minted too so i've been trying to like scoop up a bunch of these uh edition mints and have huge ambitions to kind of display all of that stuff together because it's going to eclipse it already probably is close to eclipsing the number of pieces in the original collection like the amount of editions that have been minted because a lot of people are putting them out for either free or a buck or two and yeah. they're hitting these huge mint numbers so yeah just just starting to think about how to, how to display them all together, how to uh, use the momentum of the checks collection. It's like this symbiotic thing where you can put the spotlight on artists that can show their style, but they can also inject themselves into this uh, stream of uh, something that is currently top of mind. And I think that's like, more, maybe we'll get into this in the next section. Is like, this is what NFTs are about and enable is just, you know, your ability to kind of participate in this hive mind and benefit from a part of this conversation that's happening. And uh, one thing that I really want to do in the coming days and weeks is build out the infrastructure, kind of show all of that stuff off without it just being, you know, retweets that get lost because, uh, I've gotten so many cool messages and obviously people are posting them publicly that it it just lowers the barrier to entry for creating something and I can amplify it and get more eyes on it. And it's just been really cool to see. Kind of
1: leading into the next, into talking about NFTs, one of the things you've done is you've changed the art so you changed it from being you know, 80, 80 different colors to just yeah. one. Um, what's, what's the message you're trying to make there? And it, it almost feels like there's a little bit of a, NFTs are ridiculous. Like, you know, someone has is playing God behind the scenes if they want to. But uh, why, don't, why don't you give your <laughs> yeah, take sure. instead of my
0: conjecture? No, you're, I mean, you're, there's, there's definitely some ridiculousness in there, but there's also like an education piece that I think is very important, which is, an NFT is not an image, right? And, and I think obviously the amount of people that come into NFTs with that perception, myself included, is in the high 90%. Like an NFT is an image, it's the thing you set as your profile picture. Incorrect, right? An NFT is a token that in the majority of cases points to an image, or in some cases points to some immutable sequence of characters that generates an image not not the case in most cases so the other thing that we're trying to do with this transparency this transparent approach to telling the story is to essentially try and do things in the process that help people understand like what they're participating in and it's a relationship between an artist and a collector so it's a social contract. Like I could change the, I, I forget the name of that project, the raccoon thing that turned into Bones last year or something. Some, not you know, sure which one, <laughs> you know, some artistic statement, which is basically like, Hey, you bought this thing, but you don't know what you bought. And now we destroyed the value of it. Right. That's one way to go about it. And I don't think that does it in a productive or, uh, there's not a positive way to teach people that thing, but interestingly i think in a case like this one idea i had was to change the artwork to a derivative every day Mm. so you're essentially a part of the checks network as a function of you owning this nft and the image at least at this stage of the process at this stage of the artwork is the thing that happened to be on the the mint page on zora on the day that you purchased it but the thing that we actually have in common, me and you, is this token that you own. And I have the ability to update the metadata of that token at any time. Um, Which also, I think, refers back to some of the themes in not only the things that informed the piece originally, but all of the stuff that I've been playing with in my work for the last couple of years, which is how do you explain some of these concepts? How do you explain what an NFT is to somebody who has... Either a limited idea or no idea, and that check mark has always been an icon that I've played with in that context
1: yeah, yeah, and no, I mean the, this let's see if I can find it yeah i mean that 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 piece of yours jpeg versus nft is is very uh yeah i mean that's that, that, it's very iconic and it is wild how it just comes so full circle yeah, uh, yeah. to you know to to where we are right now what do you uh what do you broadly think that? You know, you you really tread the lines, and I think anybody like for me, it's always jarring. Like this, net National Geographic did an NFT mint. Every single comment on their Instagram was about how NFTs are a scam. Like just yeah, you know, so yeah. much outside of our little fifty thousand person Twitter bubble, like right. the world thinks that NFTs are the most ridiculous thing on the planet. Like, do you agree with them? And if not, like, what do you think people get wrong about NFTs?
0: Mm. There's definitely some ridiculousness involved, right? Like from the outside, especially if you read, if you have a headline understanding of NFTs, it's probably like blood boilingly infuriating some of this stuff when you read that people are paying exorbitant amounts of money for these things. And what it really comes down to, I think, is like the permissionless nature of it and the the underlying infrastructure obviously enables people to act in ways in which some systems you can't act. So I think that is what leads to a lot of the madness, but it also is what leads to a lot of the beauty that comes out of this. So, you know, artists that were, in my case, this is less extreme, but I always used to make art to build my business in a different way. So I would make art and put it out in order to either win clients to do consulting work, like one-off work, or I would, um, you know, use, make art to illustrate concepts that would be part of a product that I'd designed. And obviously there's nothing wrong with that, but NFTs kind of ushered in this era of the Art can actually be this thing that can be traded. You know, digital art can have provenance and can move from person to person, and you can ascribe value to it. And that like clicked in my mind the first time I saw it. And it just happened to coincide with this moment in time where like the rest of the world was finding out about it. So I think a lot of people have the, a lot of people also see the, see it the power laws that exist within this too. And obviously there are massive network effects that people have already established or um, early movers in the space that have like gobbled up a lot of the attention and liquidity, but is it a better solution than like posting your work on Behance or Deviant or wherever else? I believe yes. And another just anecdotal thing is before NFTs, I didn't really know where my work existed. I didn't like, it was on Instagram, it's on Twitter and it's on like a Google drive and my hard drive. It wasn't like published. So this is almost like, a, it was almost like the 56K dial-up moment for me when I first minted a piece of work. It was like, wow, like I've, I've. Um, it's just a magic moment. And I think if you're outside of that system, if you've never had that experience, That's the thing that I would always encourage people who are skeptical about it, not to change their mind, just to confirm their beliefs, like go and buy this thing for five bucks or go and mint a piece of work for, I don't know, 10 bucks, whatever it costs to mint whenever you're doing it. But if after that experience, you still don't get it, fair enough. But for me, those were transformative experiences, those couple of clicks.
1: I mean, it, it goes so, it's so closely connected to a lot of your other work, which is just about the idea of brands. You know and what it takes to make a brand that makes people feel good and feel connected to there's something about buying an nft that suddenly people actually feel connected to a jpeg or to a video or to something you know and it's, i find it essentially impossible to explain to someone who's not in nfts why you feel that right. connection and i say exactly what you say like you just have to you go yeah and and you'll ex- you'll experience something of that i one of the things i'm i was really curious to get your take on is i find in this space like yuga labs has done an incredible job you know building the brand that they've built and and their community you know the prices that their work commands after a year and a half is is not negotiable even though a lot of people don't like it or like it Mm -hmm. you know doodles you know there's some of these brands but I, i feel like if you look at all these projects there aren't many people who are marketing experts who are like right. experts at creating brand affinity, and that's really been kind of something you've been phenomenal at. And when you look at the space as someone who's really in the branding game, what do you think? What do you think people are doing right, and what do you think people are doing wrong?
0: I definitely think the the like lack of branding now in general is because the technical. You know, this, this thing has evolved from such a technical space and vast majority of people who are interested in it or are early adopters of it are way more... And NFTs is obviously changing this, but the, the, the crypto to NFT bridge is normally a technical one or a worldview one that doesn't often align with pop culture. And pop culture is marketing, you know, narratives that resonate Broadly, things of that nature, so it's like this there are countercultures that I think are really well marketed and understood and and um, desirable to be a part of, and then there're obviously the countercultures that are com- run completely counter to that, and I think you have both now in in nft's web three crypto insert buzzword here, um, but what a lot of people I think get wrong is one, just underutilizing the canvas and like not really understanding the thing that we were just talking about where the, the things that an NFT enables you to do versus, you know, shipping a JPEG that is hosted on a server somewhere. That to me is where the idea should come from is like, there are there are so many people in this space that are like building tools or um, kind of building a copycat product of something that already exists before they get network effect. And I think art and culture is kind of a huge shortcut to achieving network effect first. And in the context even of this one project, I think it's a good example of that where you find a narrative that's resonating and you build on top of that narrative versus make like sitting going in a dark room for a year trying to build something that you think people want and then um you know coming out and finding that it's really hard to connect with people or find demand for something. So there's obviously great people who are really good at this in this world and I think they have just like a ridiculous advantage as a function of that. But that's true in great marketers are win in every industry, but in this industry in particular, because of how like hyper-connected it is and financialized it is, you can really capitalize on that in a, in a severe way.
1: Uh, That, that point that you made it to me is super interesting. It's like, I think part of the appeal of owning a crypto punk is that 99% of the world thinks it's the most ridiculous thing ever. (laughs) It's like, I, I not only paid 70 grand for this jpeg that you can copy paste and print and put on your wall right but i'm like proud of it and i made it my profile picture <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's almost like that counterculture is the marketing you know and maybe that speaks a little bit to like why it's why the why the marketing in the space kind of feels a little grungy it feels grungy mm-hmm. it feels hacked together it feels a little bit like you know kind of done from your home studio like this you know as opposed to like a true marketing agency that's at some level a part of the ethos of uh of the industry
0: i mean what, yeah what- and i think it churns right there are levels to it like some projects become almost get to that corporate level where like they are the established and mature players and then you see like this new wave and i think that's kind of what we're seeing now is like the low priced high volume mints that run completely counter to the culture of two years ago that may establish this new way of interacting in the space that uh was previously governed by the the like shape of the projects, right? I yeah. think the the specific, like very specifically on the PFP thing, it's a very it's a very powerful idea because obviously that real estate is just ridiculous on on any social feed. You, the, the face is the thing you see, but it's also it also has its restraints because you're one you're capping it to. However, many thousand people can participate in it. But two, it's like it's the, the switching cost is really, really significant too. And what I think is happening with art is you can collect 500 pieces of art and talk about all different pieces of art, but these communities that you're identifying by your face or your, you know, your, you're so deeply invested in it that it, it makes it difficult to like expand the network in a meaningful way. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's completely wild how great of a marketing channel PFPs are. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, like from a marketing perspective, like Steph Curry making a board ape his his profile picture, Jay Z making his making a punk his profile picture. Yeah. Like these were massive catalysts for the space. But I think even for me, you know, I'm so tied to my CryptoPunk. Like, and it, that yeah. You know, so you know, someone says are more people looking at screens or walls? You know. The art on my wall, I'd say probably over the course of a year, a hundred people will see. Whereas right, right. I have a hundred people see my dumb GM picture out of of my thing out the window in ten minutes every single day. Like it's just, yeah. and and your identity gets tied to it. So your belief, like it is a pretty wild. I think from a marketing perspective, it people underappreciate yeah, how how big it is. Have you Have you ever thought about doing a PFP project?
0: Uh, thought about it. I think maybe there'll be some exploration. It won't be a typical one, but, um, maybe, maybe I think, uh, the real estate is, there's gotta be, there's gotta be something clever to be done in that space for sure.
1: One thing you, you also talk about is how, and I think a lot of your early podcasts from like two or three years ago were about how people who use the internet, right? Can build massive businesses, mm-hmm. um, and like that is just such a good tool. How, what, what's kind of your overlay for that onto onto NFTs as far as like w- w- people who are using the internet right in this space? What do you think they're What do you think they're doing, and what are people yeah, so, who are not using the internet not doing?
0: Yeah. So the first business I built, which still exists, as visualized Value. So visualized Value is both this like participant in the world of NFTs, and it's a very like established business in like a, uh, online education, let's call it. So the the way in which I got a foothold in that space was permissionlessly contributing content to certain ideas and certain like collectives of people on the internet. So it started out as me struggling trying to start a business and reading all of these books from people who have crushed it in Silicon Valley, for example. And there are these principles that they've outlined about how the internet works or how to think about digital leverage, communication. Naval Ravikant's one of the massive influences on the ideas that got me to think about building a a digital business. And what I would do is just take those ideas and illustrate them and put them on Twitter. It's like throwing these ideas into the ether and being able to connect with those people. Again, like this whole like Twitter has been such a huge part of the last three years of my life that this project is just overlaps on so many themes and things that I believe the, I, the idea that I could make something and somebody who I would never have a chance of meeting in real life might open their phone and see is just the most, it was just the most, the most massive mindset shift for me at the beginning of my, uh, my journey in starting a business where I was basically cold calling, knocking on doors, putting stuff out there and hoping people would come to me versus like just permissionlessly finding ways to do interesting stuff that, that would instantly reach somebody. And then if I got enough attention, maybe I'll get a retweet from an aval or, uh, you know, anybody in this space that I was, an admirer of that I was creating things for inspired by. And then that would expand my network as a function of that retweet. So I'll get a little Naval cohort in the visualized value Twitter feed. I would find another idea that resonated with me, do it again. So I think this idea of being able to tap the hive mind, understand the things that resonate and kind of validate idea first, signal first, instead of going all in building a crazy product hiring people there are so many ways to validate ideas especially art right? especially the idea of content and art as as things that people want to consume the barrier to making that and putting it out is limited by your ability on a keyboard and mouse and screen so nfts are obviously play in that space very heavily so a lot of the principles that I've tried to communicate are just around that idea of just like permissionless value add on networks that are open that's going to get your work in front of people who you would never have a chance to meet in real life typically but through doing that you get the opportunity to meet them eventually like I've illustrated books now for the people who were writing the books that inspired me to start a business in the first place all through just throwing stuff on Twitter
1: Yeah, it it is wild that just the connectivity and meet like, you see a cool graffiti piece of graffiti in Miami and they have their Twitter handle there, and suddenly you can talk to this person who is untalkable, who is just you know it's it's so many people suddenly get connected, but then also, you know, having Naval who was an inspiration retweet you like those are the things that happen here. Do you feel like you're mainly talking to creatives, or do you think for people across kind of business lines there's a message here?
0: No, there's definitely a message for everyone. I think the like I think any idea or any any exchange of value starts with communication. So if you can distill the thing that you can do or that you can produce into a piece of communication that gets somebody to say, I want that or I want to see more of that, then you can go about refining it, building it. There's definitely varying degrees of complexity, right? Like every successful product, started as something way less sophisticated than it is 100 iterations later that is my overall like the overall premise is like repetition iteration over and over and over again and there's a great 50 cent quote i'm not going to get it verbatim but it's when you put something out there and the public doesn't respond to it They're telling you something loud and clear. You're just not listening.
1: I I, I spent a lot of time kind of looking over your your work last night. And I was trying to get like, if you, what are like trying to distill down the big themes? And the one that keeps coming up is this idea of action over overthinking, Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. get things done, you know, just, um, I I love this work here where it's like kind of the scatter mind just keeps bouncing up and down, but someone who's focused, uh, you know, can, can really create a lot. Um, but really kind of like every, so much of it, like this one here, you know, doing well is about not worrying about what you want to do now. And instead focusing on what you want most, are you someone who struggles with attention? Like, are you someone who struggles to control your mind? It almost feels like the, like you're kind of like laying out what is so important for everybody, which is we are all so ADD. And in yeah, NFTs, yeah, yeah. 95% of people, 95% of people in NFT, NFTs call themselves ADHD. Yeah, yeah. Is that something you've struggled with? And like a lot of this is just like documenting your own personal battles?
0: For sure, yeah. I think the, the thing that leads you to create any art that resonates with someone else, I think there has to be some truth to it that you feel, I think to even articulate it in a way that anybody else is going to understand. That's how the process works, at least for me, where you're, especially if you're visualizing something, you're trying to actually conceptualize like the logic of an idea. Like, how do I, how do I think about the relationship between these two concepts and communicate that to someone else? And if you haven't gone through the experience, or if you haven't seen the contrasting difference between being distracted and bouncing around and setting a a bunch of constraints and just going absolutely bananas on hitting those constraints every day, which I did early on in Visualize Value, where the first year or two of uh, trying to start a business, I would just switch my focus all the time. Be like, I'm going to be, you know, everything to everyone, marketing agency. Oh, no, wait, now I'm going to do automotive marketing. Now I'm going to do websites. I'm going to work with recruiters. I was just like all over the place, just winging it. And I guess what I realized over time, there's a lot of introspection in it, is trying to distill that back to the thing that I was good at as opposed to like the thing that's like chasing the thing that's out in the world. And this process of taking an idea and visualizing it in the most compressed way possible, that's my skill. That's the thing that I've spent 10 years, 12 years at this point doing over and over and over again. But I didn't know specifically that that was the thing. It was like, Having to really just fumble through a bunch of stuff. Like in the agency world where I basically cut my teeth as a designer, all the low level design positions, they will have you making PowerPoint presentations. You're the last one in the office till two in the morning, organizing all these horrendously ugly slides that are coming from accounting teams, strategy teams, all that. So you just have to make that stuff look beautiful. Yeah. And, at the time I was like, oh, there's no value in this because they're making me do it and I'm the inexperienced one, right? That like the valuable stuff is going in the room and giving the pitch and all that stuff. And while there is value in that, that's the like the retrospective look at like what's the thing that I've consistently been able to sit down and do that I've seen results from or I've given to someone else and they've seen results from. And that was it. And I just it just took a long, long time to like asking people, getting feedback, trying ideas that didn't work. And it's just, it's still a process of iteration right now. Like I'm not claiming that I have it figured out either. It's just, uh, it's definitely in a much better place than it was a couple of years ago.
1: I mean, it's kind of wild. And I I think that's a, it's, it's like, that's the work that you see as low level making those decks, but really that is the magic sauce. Like how do you, and I find it also, like I've built my whole Twitter just by, Creating charts that make NFTs uh, that show a trend that people know is happening, but they but they don't have the which is great to show by the way,
0: which you do oh, a great job.
1: Appreciate that. Appreciate that. um What other? So I I kind of highlighted this idea of talk less, do more. Like stop yeah. thinking, just do. Figure out what you're good at and do it. and yeah. I, I love this one here because we've all had that inspiration. Yeah. We were so pumped, and then a week passes by and we don't care anymore, and we got nothing from it. But yeah. w- what other kind of overarching messages do you think are, if you had to like distill your kind of overall like the Jack Butcher message into a few things what else would you put in that list
0: yeah i definitely think the publish more than you're comfortable with and listen is is one for sure like externalize your ideas right so a lot of people think they have good ideas until they sit in front of a page and try and articulate what they're trying to say you actually find out either you didn't have an idea or you didn't uh you know in a lot of cases you can't connect these two things but sitting down in front of a page is going to force you to do it So a writing habit is definitely helpful. Um, The output piece we covered, the permissionless thing is a huge thing. I think um, especially in the age of the internet and Twitter specifically as a platform, there is so much opportunity out there in just building something, making something and putting it in front of someone that can lead to all kinds of different opportunities. I think um, I really learned this lesson in my agency days when the way that business worked made no sense to me. Like people would come and ask you to submit a proposal for something unpaid. Like they would come and say, hey, we're looking for a new agency. We're going to redo our website. You guys put together a 90 page proposal and we're going to choose between you and 10 other people. And every time we were doing, I was like, this is crazy, man. You're like, you're wasting so much money on this stuff versus there's one agency that I'll shout out that, um, I was so inspired by it was called fantasy interactive. And what they used to do was they would make these hypothetical case studies. So like, what should the air travel experience be on mobile? What's the best version of that? We'll make this case study and then we'll put it on the internet We'll get it out in front of people and then one airline is going to buy it eventually. We just have to change the logo in the top left corner. We don't have to go through this process of like asking for permission to pitch, taking people out for steak dinners and hoping that they'll give you the opportunity to spend a hundred hours trying to convince them to do something. And obviously the internet breaks all those barriers down. All those systems still definitely exist and thrive and there's a lot of inefficiency in the world. but acting without permission is definitely, um, core tenant of, uh, the visualized value ethos.
1: Yeah. No, it's, there's always that tension between like, listen to your customers. And, uh, you know, I, I asked my customers what they wanted, and they said a faster horse. Right, <laughs> like right. it's, it's, I, I worked at Uber for eight years and that was always just so core was when do we think we know better and when, you know, and that's yeah. what makes us unique. And when do we, uh, do what, what, what our customers are telling us to do. So, a couple of last questions before we wrap up. What would be what would be your advice either, you know, either for an artist who's getting started in this space or given that NFT projects, profile picture projects are just all about marketing and brand for someone who's getting started, I don't know which one of those you feel most equipped to to give mm-hmm. advice on, but is there is there one of those two that that you'd have advice for?
0: I guess my advice almost falls outside of the NFT space. And I think that is a big distraction for a lot of people too, is people assume that NFTs are the answer to an art career that isn't getting itself off the ground. And while in some cases, I think that's true, in a lot of cases, it's a marketing problem at every level. For the most part, people that are crushing it in NFTs either were crushing it before or like by the definition of crushing it in their industry at least. So there is definitely a market here that opens up a lot of opportunity for people. But the, like the core problem is communication and presentation of work. And you know the typical approach is like spam the link in the replies on Twitter. Never going to work, right? Like you're doing yourself a massive disservice. And yeah, that's just not the way people want to interact with one another, whether it's NFTs or anything else you're selling or trying to build. So the one one component is just communication in general, like taking a step back and figuring out how to, how if NFTs didn't exist, would I make my work relevant and interesting to people. And so much of that comes down to being informed by the culture that you're participating in. And I think that like many of the relevant projects and people in this world are creating art that reflects the technology that's being built upon. So CryptoPunk's obviously an incredible example of that. It's like, the punk like crypto punk is like combining these two ideas of cryptography decentralized finance and punk culture which is like we're you know we exist outside of pop culture and i think the the projects that tap into this like hive mind global consciousness are a result for the most part of artists that are incredibly like pay a lot of attention, are very thoughtful. I would give a shout out actually to a very recent example of this, you know, Bats Do, the, geo, the geometric Pepe's. Yeah. Have you seen those? I think that is a perfect example of somebody who's like got their ear to the ground, has an amazing aesthetic, is a very talented artist, uh, but found this, found this wedge with that approach where, you know, a couple of those images put out in front of the right people and you're already swimming around in, in NFT Twitter. Once the image takes off and it resonates, it's almost like you got that product market fit. And it's like, there's an idea here. I can build a series off this. And that I guess goes back to some of our earlier points where it's like, you almost find the constraint to build the collection around and understand how, a how, a meme, how you need to add context, keep adding context to a meme to be successful. And in this in this space, in any space, obviously it's like a political slogan, right? You write something that resonates, and you just say it over and over and over and over and over again. And that sometimes runs really counter to the way artists want to act as well. It's like they want to wake, they want to make something different every time. But if you look at the really successful people in this space, an X copy, for example, it could be going past you at 70 miles an hour on a bus and you would know what that is like yeah. the 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 distinct aesthetic and the the way in which it taps into the culture and and yeah the the constraint is another huge part of it the constraint the signal the communication and the like build things that are magnets not you know not forcing them if you have to force it it's never going to work like you have to even the even the act of putting things out so frequently. Look at Beeple, five thousand pieces of work before NFTs existed. He's clearly, doing it because he loves to make those images, and he's extremely talented at it. And this vehicle just comes along that I think aligns with. It just perfectly aligns with the way he thinks. Like he's like pulling themes from culture from subculture from news, politics, all of this stuff. And art as a medium in, in many ways is like how do you just how do you express the things that a lot of other people are feeling in a way that's completely unique to you? And yeah, it's like build the series and the the ability to keep adding equity to something does rely and require this level of constraint and you can switch up your constraints until you find one that seems to resonate and then just go, just drill.
1: Yeah. A couple, a couple things that jumped to mind for me. One, when I, when I was at Uber, David Pluff, who was Obama's campaign manager in 2008, worked at our company and I had dinner with him once. And I asked like, what are the, just kind of like, Give me yeah. Wisdom. What's the
0: tenets of it? Yeah, yeah. Give me
1: your wisdom, and he said, I don't think people appreciate how much your fans like you and want to hear from you. Like everyone yeah. is worried about the unsubscribe, and I think especially in the NFT world, your fans not only like your work, but they're financially invested in your work. Right, right. Like they put their savings into your work. You know, and being persistent, being persistently present, um, is is something that I think it's it's hard for people because you're afraid. You're like, well, am I over? Everyone's worried about being overbearing well if you're worried yeah. about being overbearing you probably have enough filters that you're not going to be you know yeah. like and they
0: self-select people self-select in and out and if nobody if you're not trying to find uh people that are only interested in hearing from you once a month right they're not going to be anything uh Im- that's not going to make a massive impact on your career
1: yeah no exactly and then you know grant you in, in a podcast with him he said that you know one of his big moments was when one of his collectors told us we need consistency from you. Your work is too scattered. I need to know what your look is and make every you know, you can journey from that base, but you need to know what your your style is. And I think that was an interesting point that I think speaks a little bit to to what you're saying. The the last thing I want to ask, and I, I love this uh this Instagram on the uh yeah, that we have on the screen here. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Is that you know one w- one thing that I, I would just wonder what this transition was like for you to go from A world where your dopamine hits was in likes, you know, as an Instagrammer who was just putting out stuff to people spending thousands of dollars on your NFTs. What what was that transition like uh, for you? Just, it, it feels like something that I think would be just a huge change.
0: Yes. I mean, honestly, just insane. Like the, just to like add a point of relevance from this episode, the number of people who minted the piece that we've, the, the, the original Chex edition exceeded the number of people who liked it on Twitter by a factor of 16. That's crazy. Which is like you, you like to try and imagine that, do that thought experiment in a vacuum. It's like less people are going to buy it than like it, obviously, right? That's just the, the assumption that you have. <laughs> That's crazy. It's nuts. And I think, again, the internet or sitting behind a screen, it really desensitizes you to like that 3,000 like thing that we're looking at doesn't represent like those are not all equal, right? Some people just scrolling by tapping, oh that's cool. Other people like that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And like if you had a chart of that, if you wanted to plot something, like obviously we can't measure that, but the variation in resonance is so enormous. And even like what's another thing for artists to understand, I think, is virality is not necessarily indicative of Relevance or resonance, I should say. So, like some of those posts you see on Twitter that have three hundred thousand likes, is anybody going to buy an NFT of that tweet? No. There are there are Instagram influencers get a thousand, a million likes on a post. They can't sell a T shirt. Yeah, it's a completely like. Yes, there are obviously signals in social media that you should listen to, but. Understanding that those things aren't represent, like that is not a flat scale that represents like the level of resonance for every person is really like a powerful mental shift. And I definitely experienced that when I first got into this because of, I think, a number of reasons, like specifically transitioning from talking about ideas that are more general to trying to communicate ideas that are specific to the space that I was playing in, like this piece where going through that transition was inspiration for creating this, which resonated with people who I now have a relationship with as a function of being able to create digital provenance and have someone collect my work digitally. So, yes, it's... I mean, it was just an incredible experience, but even now I'm learning more, or like it's being expanded even now where... As a result of this checks piece, even the derivatives that are being created, the amount of participation to, re- to make another political reference, it's like, don't, don't show me what someone says, show me what they do. And being able to see like capital move and be allocated towards pieces versus like a signal that is, I laughed at this joke or I want to broadcast to my network that I liked this versus I'm going to buy this are two very different signals. Not, I, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't pay attention to it at all. Obviously, there is that you can get feedback from how people are receiving your work, but the difference can be enormous. And this is still such a niche community, right? There's you know a, a, like, a, a thousand like posts in NFT land is like a significant portion of the population of people who care about this stuff.
1: Pretty much impossible.
0: Right. I imagine it can be done, <laughs> but you
1: normally got to bring in the only way to do that is like say something bad about FTX, and right, right. the entire and world in, yeah. outside of yeah. NFTs starts to come in. Then you might get those likes. But uh, yeah. cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on, man. I think uh, like I think this this concept of open edition, you know, that I, it just feels like you started with this thing, and then after a while, you're like you know what, I'm going to turn those open editions. Away from what they're meant, what they're originally intended to turn them into a token, a, a coin, like a currency that plays into this world I'm about to create, and just it's just like such a fun building ground for for the world building that you're doing. But uh, to have someone of your kind of qualification caliber, and those are the wrong words, just deep success resonating with people and sending messages that uh, resonate with people, and and people really see their own lives. And I think it's uh, it's awesome to have you in the space. So thanks a lot for uh,
0: coming on. Mate, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great.
1: All right, that is it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you would like to help us out, head on over to proof.xyz and click on the reviews button at the very top and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much. Take care.